This is Inside Work. My name is Robert. Have you ever asked yourself, why do I show up at work every day? Yeah, of course you do it for a paycheck. But what else do you get out of your work? That's what we're going to talk about. I talked to some of the people that I work with, people from around the world, and I asked them, what drives you at work? What do you get out of your work? How did you find the right thing to do? And some of the things that they said really grabbed me. So I'm going to share those things with you, and I'm going to share them with my co-hosts, Nick and Amy. I hope you enjoy the conversation. I think what really drives me is that I want to see what I'm made of, if that makes sense. Everyone's trying to figure out why they were put here on this on this planet, well, what they were meant to do. Something drove me into, into the path. So I listened to the inner motivators that I had and go, what feels right? We really tried to keep the cultural thing to keep it alive, you know, not just work. Because if you communicate as a person with your teammates, the work itself will happen better outcomes. A sense of accomplishment. Accomplishment that I could feel as a team, not alone. I mean, you never know, you never know when would be your last day of life. So, you know, life is really not just about, not just about work, but of course, work is, uh, plays a big role in my life. It's such an important part of our life right now. I just need to make sure that whatever I do at work makes me happy. For me, there's no other way I could make work work. Didn't feel connected with uh, what I was doing on a daily basis. And I talked to a really close friend of mine who was having similar struggles at work. And he said something that just really resonated with me. He said, I feel like I am too smart to be this unhappy. Mom was a teacher. Dad also worked in the university sector in IT. They're not corporate types. So it was always, you need to have a work ethic, you need to work, you need to think of what you want to do. But at the same time, don't sell your soul. Work isn't life. On Inside Work, we talk about the intersection between our work selves and our real selves. So let's do it. I just had the best time talking to people from our company all over the world and asking them about what lessons their parents imparted to them about work, you know, what really motivates them in their work, what rewarding experiences they've had in their careers. And, um, you know, everybody's different. Everybody comes from a different place and a, a different motivation, but there were, there were definitely common themes. And I talked to this really cool guy, Emil, down in South Africa in Johannesburg. And there were a few people I talked to that I knew, but most of them I did not know at all. They didn't know who I was. And I sent them blind invites and they accepted them. (laughs) They said, sure, you can record me for a podcast uh, based on the little bit of information you gave me. And as soon as I get on the phone with with Emil, I'm like, hey, Emil, uh, how you doing? And he's like, I'm on top of the world. (laughs) And that was just (laughs) how our whole conversation went. Check this out. So from my side, definitely one of the biggest lessons I've learned during work that 
doesn't matter what you do, there's dignity in work. And always try to deliver your best in what you do and to be proud on what you do. At the end of the day, you know, you have so many things that you actually love. Um, looking at my old man and, you know, my parents and also different peers uh, through my life. The biggest challenges that they always faced was coming home, looking at their family and be able to proudly look at them and said, you know, I am a provider. I can provide for you the best opportunities so that you can have a brighter and better future as well. You know, why is it that Americans are at the bottom of the accent barrel? <laughs> <laughs> you you can feel it when he talks. He's got like a very emotive um, voice and you could feel the, the depth of his emotion and how he told you the story. You know, when he said that, the, the word dignity, I perked up right away. Because mm-hmm. um, I've been, you know, I've been on my own journey when it comes to work and what I want from my career going forward. And I don't have a uh, a Porsche or a Lamborghini or Ferrari or any of those midlife crisis type cars. I just have a Toyota Camry. <laughs> but my midlife crisis has been expressed through existential soul searching. And it, I, I've thought a lot about what work means. And that word dignity was actually one I had been reflecting on a lot. Mm-hmm. So yes, I, I really, really connected with him. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's direct. I mean, just to your point about like what people look for in work and the meaning of work, like dignity is a concept. I wonder if it's why people end up getting burned out and frustrated because they feel like so much of the crap that they actually end up doing at work robs them of the dignity that they originally, you know, wanted to feel and believe that sh- they should feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think in that the, the pride in what you deliver, right. And I think sometimes, well, every time any project gets shipped, there's, there's always compromise, right? There's always what you envisioned and the, and the aspiration that you had. And then to some degree, there's always compromises along the way. And and what you end up with at the end is is some version of what you wanted, but potentially not a hundred percent. And I do think that can contribute to that feeling too. um, I wanted to have such a prideful feeling that everything I dreamed of was in this thing that I delivered um, but I had to make those compromises and and those can get people down, I think, at times. I mean, just just even as as Robert, I listen to you say it, dignity. I don't know that it's a concept that you can unpack without a lot of reflection. That's true. <laughs> that, is, that is true. Mm-hmm. I don't use it. I mean, I, I don't use that word uh, a lot. I mean, you know, we, we, one of the, we get to have it, we throw tons of words around, you know, like, you know, imagination, inspiration, innovation, mm-hmm. you know, blah, blah, blah. Dignity is not one that gets thrown around a lot. Not exactly. But then you think about um, Dib's work that we do, right? Uh, respecting others, a sense of belonging, a sense of inclusion. I, I think dignity is also a good way to kind of summarize that in one word, right? You want to feel like you are who you are your identity is intact and then you can be authentic when you, I loved how he said, when you walk back to your family in the evening, you, you, you know, you talk to your family about your day of work, that pride of, of being able to provide for them um, comes with dignity, but you want to make sure you're not compromising your values or who you are when you get that sustenance, when you get that economic stability. And I think that that's, to me, what I'm hearing in terms of having dignity in work is I didn't compromise myself in what it took to provide for my family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I'm, I'm 
I'm thinking of all these other conversations uh, and interviews that I did with folks. And I, I want to jump to this one and jump to that one because there's thematically, there's so many things that, um, you know, fit right in with what we're talking about. But before we move on, just for fun, because Emil was such a fun person to talk to. And I asked him about uh, how he got his name and uh, I, I really enjoyed his response. My godmother actually named me Emil. And there is a, a book about Emil. It's called, the book is actually called The Naughty Son. And the son's name was Emil. And my godmother, you know, she fancied the name Emil. But uh, yeah, that's how I got my name. And believe it or not, I wasn't actually a naughty boy. I was actually a very sweet child. <laughs> <laughs> I've been told. So I've been told. Can you get him? Can you get him for this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, I think he could be convinced. I mean... That guy, that guy could, that guy could read me the, uh, the Apple music terms and conditions and I'd listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really liked him. And it, it, it really, it tickled me when he, he said, you know, actually I wasn't a naughty boy. I was a very sweet child. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So Amy, you and I were, were talking about this a little bit offline, but there's a lot that we can take pride in, in our work, in our work product, in what we, in what we produce from our work and what we provide for our families. But I, I thought that this response from uh, Maya, a colleague who was born in Australia and then grew up in Montenegro. And then I think sometime in her adult life moved back to Australia, which is, you know, when she came to service now, but she, she reflected on what, what work means to her even beyond her work product. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to play that one for you. So it doesn't always have to be producing stuff. It could be being there for other people in your team and your company. And yeah, I think that's, that's basically uh, it. When I help others, I feel, I feel valued. I feel seen. I feel heard. And yeah, I feel like I matter and showing someone else they matter. Yeah, I, I love that. And uh, Robert, I was sharing with you too, like it really reminded me of that inflection point in my career where I moved from being a producer to a manager. And I've uh, had so many people on my team now make that transition too. And it's really a big mindset shift, but also kind of a maturation as well too, where you go from being almost like self-centered in a sense, right? Where you're like, I am about what I produce and the things that I control and the output of me as an individual. And then you move into this world of now you might not be the person producing anymore. You might lead a team of people who do produce. And for me, it was a really difficult transition. And, and I really questioned the value that I provided at that point. I, I didn't have a thing that I had designed that, you know, I'd push the pixels around and said, Hey, I could put my signature on that. That was made by Amy. Um, and see its success or it's not, you know, whatever happened with it. Uh, and instead I was, you know, do really intangible things in terms of coaching people, mentoring them, helping them find a project that they were passionate about working on. And, um, and at first I felt like, well, I could never take credit for anything they do. So what do I do? Um, and it took me a while of kind of, um, realizing and recognizing that I could take pride in their work. And it was maybe not as a direct of a feeling as I'd had before, but, I started to really grow in terms of, you know, if I set them up for success, that's my success too. And that's my role now. Um, and then as you see people succeed in their career, you realize, Hey, you actually can take some pride in that in the sense of you help them get there. You set them up 
uh, in the way they needed to be set up. Um, and then you find that that's actually a deeper reward in so many ways. And it's a much more selfless feeling. Um, and it's also something that can scale exponentially. Like you can have that impact in a smaller, big way on so many other people. Um, it's a hugely rewarding and gratifying feeling when you realize you've helped other people pursue their dreams and achieve things that they, they set out to achieve. It, it is not intuitive for people, I think, to realize that, you know, giving their credit or the spotlight to others is actually a clearer path to success than it is when you get it, mm -hmm. you get it for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that's because like the, it, there's no instant gratification in it. Sometimes it's not like every time you successfully help someone else to be or feel successful, they immediately turn right back around and go, wow, I just feel like that, you know, that gesture from Amy is, you know, that encouragement, that support that, that has made my day. That has made my week. Like sometimes you have to wait for it. It's not, it's not something <laughs> right. that comes right away. It's definitely a deferred gratification, but it, it it's a very meaningful one. And it, when I hear dignity um, and when I hear that sense of um, being heard and, and having meaning for people, I mean, I think that's where work is headed now, right? Like I, I, I feel like where we are now in our worlds is people want that sense of purpose and that sense of leaving behind something better, right? Like having some kind of positive impact. It's not necessarily about personal gain, right? Or title. It's how did what I do help the world? And I think that's, it's interesting too, because I think businesses are going to be held more accountable, um, both for their ethics and, and the impact they have. Um, but also in helping their employees feel that their their work has a bigger purpose. I think that's becoming the new expectation of work. I might I might debate that one with you. Yeah, I, think, I, I agree. I, look, I think people sort of innately want to, to make a difference and to feel like they're moving the needle. Mm -hmm. like they want the money. They want the titles too. I don't think that's yeah. gone away, right? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, absolutely. But you know, the other thing I'd say, just to your point, I, you know, uh, you zoom out and you look at some of the broader societal stuff that's going right into the workplace about people feeling marginalized or unacknowledged or that they're, you know, that whatever their personal cause or, or identity is, is being disrespected or it, this is all about dignity and being seen and heard. Um, and I think too many people at work walk past it and, you know, still fall into the trap of looking at employees as like ID numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, or looking at employees like where they fall on the org chart and who they report to. It's like that just doesn't that doesn't that that plays into people's worst fears about everything becoming less personal, um, you know, and, and sort of less dignified. Mm -hmm. mm. Sorry, I took it real, real deep there. I apologize. Yeah, I love it. We touched on the, the concept of, you know, taking pride in your work. So one of the people I talked to who his his biography alone is enough to to make him somebody that you want to learn more about. He's former United States Marine. After being a Marine, he he moved to Japan and you know went to this language school. And while he was there, somebody really took a shine to him, took a liking to him, uh, hired him to work for this this Japanese construction company. And so he's like operating backhoes and heavy equipment hmm. in Japan. And then he gets promoted a bit within that company is out, you know, doing other things on construction sites. And then he becomes a personal chef and he was personal chef to, uh, Abby Weinbach, a, a famous soccer player. I mean, this guy has like done everything. And now he's 
a service now SC that works with federal customers. And I mean, there's so many things that he talked about that were just amazing and inspiring and stories he shared from the Marines. But I asked him about what he picked up from his parents about work. And mm-hmm. anyway, let me, let me play you this from Kenneth. I'm from Winsboro, South Carolina. It's a small, small town. But my dad, he was an interesting fellow. He was a mean man. Everyone in town absolutely was scared of my dad. He was one tough guy. He did a lot of woodwork. Uh, back in the South, it's called pupwood. So they would go out and cut down these trees and 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 they would have to manhandle and put these things on trucks. And so he was a big guy. But what he did every day, if he was sick, rain or whatever, he would get up and he would go to work. And uh, he would take us to places and, and as we're driving, he would always say, hey, you know, I helped them build that, help them build that bridge, or I helped play that road. I cut, I cut out all that so that road could go through there. I mean, he was he was very proud, you know, of of the work he did. And, you know, it wasn't it wasn't special work, it wasn't like glamour, but it meant something to him. So I never forgot that. Yeah. Uh I mean there, there's just so much about that. Mm-hmm. That pride of work, I could just picture uh, his father as he was describing him and uh, the ethic of going to work, rain or shine, regardless of how you feel. Um, it's something that I really took from my parents, too. And, and I love hearing these stories, too, about like the the inspiration and the examples you saw from your parents of what work went, meant and what um, that reward truly was, like being able to show that you helped build something that the the city, the town, the people of that area rely on, um, is so meaningful. Yeah. You know, we, we learned, we learned some new vocabulary during the pandemic. We all learned essential worker, right? Uh-huh. Essential workers. And we, we are not essential workers. Mm-hmm. Ouch. I think that the work that we do matters and we happen to be among the most privileged workers in the world mm-hmm. in just so many different ways. But I, I love that story because going back to that concept of dignity and work, he, he, he even says at some point, you know, it, was, it wasn't anything fancy, but he, he really took pride in what he did. And no matter what we do, our work matters. And there's this book that I was looking at just to help me understand this whole realm of meaning and work. And uh, it's called Why We Work. And it's written by a guy named Barry Schwartz. And, you know, among other things, he, he talks about the, the concept of a job versus a career versus a calling mm. and different ways that people look at their work and have a relationship with their work. And the interesting thing about it is you might tend to think that, well, you know, if you are a heart surgeon, that's a calling. If you are a, a minister and you, you know, you attend to people's souls and their spirits, that's a calling. But if you work in construction, or if you're a custodian at a hospital or whatever, that's a job, or mm-hmm. maybe that's a career. But the thing is, any anything you do could be a calling. And I yeah, think for, yeah. for his father, like he, he, he made that into a calling, whereas you might be a, a brain surgeon and just be phoning it in. You know, it, it right. really depends on your relationship to your work. That's right. Yeah. And, and what drew you to it? And, um, that's something, I, and I almost wonder too, is there another category there 
maybe similar to a calling, but just something that you love doing, right? And and that was the advice. My dad was a, a pilot. He loved flying and he was able to turn that into a career as a pilot. Um, and his advice to me was always find something you love doing and then try to figure out how to get paid for it. And that's success. Like he would say that to me over and over again. And for me, I loved artwork and design and, and that led into my career. Um, and so I wonder, there's a calling, which I think is very honorable. Um, but I also think that there's some who maybe just stumble onto something they love doing and then can figure out how to make a career in that. It may not be as lofty as a calling, but there's something to it, I think, too, of finding something that you're passionate about. Listening to Kenneth, you, you, you just realize we have... Um... We have made it so inadequate the way we traditionally like have people talk about their careers. Like listening to him tell the stories of his of his ancestry and and listening to you know Amy talk about her dad as a pilot. Like these are conversations that I've never heard come up in any job interview in any you know conversation at work. Mm-hmm. And y- you can feel people just leaning in to the conversation because of the flexibility and the openness you're giving them to talk about things that maybe feel a little bit more personal, but are absolutely connected to how they look at at the work that they do. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we need to wrap it up in in a second here and we'll, you know, we'll pick up next week, but I could go, like I'll preview just a couple of things for you. Like Wan Rong in Singapore, this is a person and I, I think she's, She's pretty early in her career, so she she hasn't been in the world of work for a long time. But she tells a story about her parents and how they really they really struggled to provide for her from very humble origins. And she, as she was going to the workforce, she's like, my greatest inspiration or source of drive and motivation is actually to be able to provide for my parents. And it's just so different from the the cultural spot that I sit in and the, the, the way that I looked at my work and I, but it was really powerful when she tells, when she tells her story and I'll probably play some of it for you. All right. Well, you've officially like baited us into like not being <laughs> able to wait for the next one now. Well, folks, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'll be back again soon with Nick and Amy to do a part two to this conversation where we'll continue talking about the deeper meaning behind our work. See you soon. Inside Work is brought to you by ServiceNow and is hosted by Nick, Amy, and me, Robert. Our audio engineer is Cameron. I want to extend a huge thank you to my colleagues whose voices and stories you heard in this episode. Kenneth, Johanna, Leahy, Tamaki, Wanrong, Alexandra, Randy, Brett, Emil, and Maya. Thank you so much for entrusting me with your stories.